All right. So we've covered so far up through Luke 3, 21 through 22, Mark 1, 9 through 11, Matthew 3, 13 through 17. We've been talking about the baptism of Jesus by John the Baptist and why it was significant, why it occurred, because John the Baptist's baptism was for repentance. And he made that very clear. And so he resisted Jesus wanting to be baptized at first because he said, hey, you should baptize me, right? (laughs) Like this isn't, this isn't the right order of things. And Jesus said, no, it's needing to be done to fulfill all righteousness. And Jesus actually came and traveled many days to be with John the Baptist to allow for this to occur. So there's a transition period that's happened here. We can see from the text, Jesus has been in Galilee and now he is coming further down, down south, many days journey into the area surrounding Jerusalem. This is where he is baptized by John. And this really signifies the beginning of his earthly ministry from what we understand. And so Jesus has been baptized by John. And then we see here that um, if we go further in this passage in Luke 3 that we were just in, it says, and Jesus, when he began his ministry, was himself about 30 years old. And then it goes into the genealogy of uh, who Jesus came from as far as by marriage because of Joseph not being his real earthly father. He was just his father by marriage because he was conceived of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary. You see that Joseph's genealogy is listed here. And that's significant for other prophecies regarding the birth of Jesus, but we won't get into that right now. But if you scroll down to the end of the genealogy, the end of chapter three, you see chapter four talks about the temptation of Jesus. And when you look at different outlines on the ministry of Jesus, you can see that there is an order of events that occurred before he called his first disciples. One of them is he is baptized by John the Baptist. And that seems to be the first official step of his ministry where God the Father from heaven verbalizes that this is his son, and who he's very well pleased. And it also, as we covered last lesson, symbolizes the fact that he's going to eventually be the propitiation for our sins. He is identifying himself with those he's come to save in this baptism moment. And then the Holy Spirit descending on him in bodily form like a dove was assigned to John the Baptist to point his people that were following him that had been listening and repenting to the one who was taking over. Because John the Baptist is the forerunner. He's the announcer. He's the one who's saying, hey, get ready. He's coming. And now he can see who he is. This is Jesus. And so he points others to him. So what's significant here is the baptism of Jesus takes place. And then we know from several of the gospels that Jesus pretty quickly goes into the wilderness to be tempted after being baptized. So verse one of chapter four says, and we're in Luke right now, and Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the spirit in the wilderness, 40 days being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were completed, he was hungry. 40 days of fasting in the wilderness too. I mean, it's not like he's laying on a couch in air conditioning. This is a very, very rough and uh, aggressive environment to not be eating any food in. And I'm sure it was very hot too. So we're going to get into the temptation of Jesus. This is the significant next step in the ministry of Jesus. And this is a parenthesis that's happening between, like we see in John 1, how it says there was a man from God whose name was John. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light, that the true light that is already shining is in the world. 
And right before John the Baptist points to his followers and says, this is the one I was telling you about, and I didn't know it was him, except the one who sent me to proclaim and to testify and to baptize with water told me that the one I see, the Holy Spirit descending in bodily form. Let's go there really quick because it might seem kind of confusing if we're spending time into the temptation of Jesus and we're not really sure where this all fits, right? But if we go to John 1, where our main passage and where we've been, and we go down through verse 29, we see here that John the Baptist sees Jesus coming and he says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is really, I think, the transition period for John the Baptist. This is when John the Baptist's ministry effectively reaches its crescendo and ends because John the Baptist is here to point others to Jesus, right? That is his whole purpose. And when he gets to this point where he has now baptized Jesus and now he sees Jesus and he points others to him saying, this is the one I told you about. And we go down further, it says, uh, John testifies saying, I have seen the spirit descending like a dove from heaven and remaining upon him. And we now know that he's referencing when the baptism of Jesus occurred, that this event happened. He says, and I did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water, that one said to me, the one upon whom you see the spirit descending and remaining upon him, this one is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testify that this one is the chosen one of God. So when John the Baptist and this period, as well as the, verse 35, further down, he also talks to his disciples again when he sees Jesus again. This is when John the Baptist's ministry effectively ends, okay? I mean, he's still around for a while, and there's some interaction he has with Jesus later, and then he ends up in prison for a period of time. But really, like, this is the purpose of John the Baptist, right? This was why he came. And when he does it, he is supposed to become less important. Jesus is supposed to become more important by John the Baptist's own admission. So as we look at this, we know that we are not ready for this period where the disciples of John are going to start following Jesus now, because before Jesus came back after the baptism to be pointed out by John the Baptist and to have those followers of John the Baptist turn to Jesus now, before this occurred, we look from scripture, we can see one other significant event happened in Jesus's life before he came and started calling disciples. And that is the temptation of Jesus. So I just wanted to make that clear. That's why we're spending time now in the temptation of Jesus after we've spent time in his baptism, because it's clear from looking at all the passages together that Jesus was baptized by John, was tempted by Satan, and then came into his period where he's calling his disciples. So just to make that clear, so we still want to get back to our main passage in John, but before we can get there, John the Baptist is ready to send his disciples after Jesus, but we're not ready to, to have those disciples follow Jesus yet because we need to get Jesus tempted first. So let's go ahead and go back then to where we were just a second ago, which was in Luke 4. The temptation of Jesus is occurring here. It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days. So we know that Luke 4 is where the temptation of Jesus occurs in Luke. Let's look and see if Matthew talks about the temptation of Jesus. So we know the end of chapter 3 was where we were just now with the baptism of Jesus. 
Look at that. Matthew 4 has the temptation of Jesus too. So let's see if it has any other specifics before we get into Jesus actually talking with Satan. So verse 1 of chapter 4 of Matthew says, Then Jesus was led up into the wilderness by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil. I don't know that Luke mentions that Jesus was led by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil. Let's go back to Luke real quick and see if that's mentioned in his account. Luke 4 says he's full of the Holy Spirit and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. So yes, that is mentioned. And this is important because we've seen the other two members of the Godhead playing a significant role so far, right? John the Baptist references the fact that Jesus, who is God the Son, is being baptized. The Holy Spirit descends like a dove in bodily form and remains on Jesus. And then the heavens open and God the Father speaks and says, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. All three members of the Trinity here. But then we see that Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, as his companion really, is being led into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. And he's being led to not eat for 40 days in this difficult, harsh climate, in this situation where he's by himself with purpose. You know, sometimes we forget that Jesus, we know this from other passages of scripture, was tempted in every way such as we are, but without sin. You know, I raise my hand and say, there have been times where I'm like, I'm sorry, I was angry. I was really hungry. Or I'm sorry, I was angry. I was really tired, right? We always have a reason. I'm not feeling well. You know, it's been a hard day, etc. And Jesus put himself intentionally in a position where he was very physically weak and very open to temptation in that regard, Jesus is allowing himself under the Holy Spirit's guidance to be in a very vulnerable situation physically to allow these temptations to occur. And I think that just speaks to, again, his intentionality in coming as a human to bear our burdens, to live the way we live so that he could have compassion on us and so he could sacrifice himself ultimately for our benefit. So it's really interesting to see that. Let's go quickly to Mark 1. Um, let's go to verse 11 because that's where the the baptism ends. The baptism account in Mark ends. And he does have the temptation of Jesus covered very, very quickly as is his habit. It says here, verse 12, and immediately the spirit drove him out into the wilderness. This is interesting that he would use the word drove when the other gospels say led. That is really interesting that he uses that word picture of being almost forced out into the wilderness. Verse 13 says, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. And then verse 14 says, and after John had been taken into custody, Jesus went into Galilee. Okay, so we're moving quickly on to the next phase of ministry here in Mark. So let's go back to Matthew 4. Since we'll go a little bit more chronologically here, let's just go to Matthew 4 and read the temptation account, and then we'll go to Luke 4 to finish up. Then Jesus was led up into this wilderness by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, then he was hungry. Yeah, I can well imagine. And the tempter approached and said to him, if you are the Son of God. Okay, right there. Doesn't that just... (sighs) Satan knows who he is. I mean, you see in Jesus' ministry that he's far away from someone who's possessed by a demon or a lot of demons even, and they know it's Jesus. They'll even come running up to him and screaming, like, don't send us away. Like, no, don't punish us before the proper time. 
they know who Jesus is. Satan knows who Jesus is. And this is just so ridiculous that he says this. If you are the son of God, he's definitely playing the part of the tempter who's trying to infuse doubt even into the son of God himself that he is who he says he is as he is in human form. If you are the son of God, order that these stones become bread. Isn't it interesting how Satan is trying to get Jesus to prove himself? But when you really think about this, Satan says, order these stones to become bread. Like he's the one issuing the commands in this relationship, as if Jesus would do what he wanted him to do just because he was goading him and tempting him to do it. And Jesus answered and said, it is written, man will not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And this is a quotation from Deuteronomy 8.3. So Jesus right away responds with scripture. It's written, man will not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And Satan doesn't respond to that. He just moves on to the next temptation. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the highest point of the temple. And again, Satan is picking Jesus up, apparently, and taking him to another place that he wanted to take him. And this is all occurring, and Jesus is allowing these things to occur in his humanity, but he is still fully God. He is just allowing these things to occur. And said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will lift you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. This might be shocking to some of you, but guess what Satan's doing right now? He's quoting scripture. (laughs) Satan is quoting Psalm 91. And this is actually a psalm I've memorized because I struggle with anxiety and I used to be really crippled by it. God and his grace has allowed me freedom from that and has really allowed that freedom to occur because of dwelling on truth, dwelling on the Bible. And when you think about what is true, it leaves you less time to worry about what might happen. And the side note, but Philippians 4 tells us that we should only dwell on what's true and what's lovely and what's of good report, what's virtuous and praiseworthy, because that is how we are not anxious. That is how we don't fill our mind with things that are maybes and are if this happens and what ifs, etc. And so that is how God in his grace has given me freedom from anxiety. But I'll tell you what. It is so bizarre to see Satan quoting Psalm 91 to Jesus in this passage and trying to use it as a way to tempt him into, again, doing what Satan wants him to do, which is to respond to his goading. Jesus again responds with scripture. Jesus says to him, on the other hand, it is written, you are not to put the Lord your God to the test. Okay, we actually need to stop here because we're coming to the end of our lesson for the day, but we will be back in lesson 16 finishing up the temptation of Jesus and talking about what this means. You know, Satan is trying his best to trick you up. And sometimes it's by saying outright lies, but a lot of times it's by using words God has used himself, like in the garden. Has God really said this? No, that's not what he meant. He meant this. Or he's worried about this. That's why he won't let you have your way. He doesn't want you to have a good time, etc. You know, sometimes when we are listening to half-truths or we're looking at a verse taken out of context, you know, those can be used just as well in our lives to 
bring about destruction and to bring about us trying to justify our own sinful desires by having God rubber stamp it because we took this verse out of context, etc. And I think Satan is a part of that. We see him here using Psalm 91 to try to get Jesus to do what he wants him to do and to respond to the temptation of Satan to have control over Jesus in this moment. And Jesus knows the word and he knows how to respond with truth. And he's our ultimate example of how to handle these moments of temptation. So, all right, we'll be back in lesson 16. I'm excited to wrap this up with you guys.